not what you would have done. Given my understanding of the Federation's priorities, I would have made a different choice, yes. I never listened to advice when I was green, but I take it from an old soul who has made a lot of bad calls in his day. The crew member is drowning. If we let her, then your crew will never look at you or the Federation the same way again. And you will never look at yourself the same way either. Yes, sir. And thank you, sir. We'll deal with the chain. See you when you get back. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me in the Mirror Universe are... Bill Boywad. Rudy Baker, And Adam Bowen. Strange New Takes is a Star Trek-themed pod, and that's supposed to be covering Strange New Worlds, but who knows when that's going to be happening. So uh, we figured that since a whole bunch of Star Trek is happening, we would just start talking about it with our friends every week. And you can join us now. So, yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Terra Firma Part 1 this week. But before we get there, we want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, make sure to tell your friends to listen to us. We super love getting strange new listeners from all over the world. Your recommendations are the best way to introduce new people to our podcast. Also, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Your rating will help us appear on search lists when people look for our Star Trek podcast to listen to. Maybe that's how you found us. And just as a heads up, before we get into the business of discussing what happens in Terra Firma Part 1, there could be, will be spoilers for this episode. Um, So if you don't want to get spoiled, um, just hold off until you watch the episode. Uh, there could also be spoilers for um, Star Trek in general or any other show. But hey, that's the case with every podcast. So um, if you don't care, jump in or watch Terra Firma and then jump in. Saru dies. <laughs> Stamage dies. You're right. And uh, yeah, I, I expect one of you by the end of this podcast will have a temper to kill me. I have my eyes on you. So, <laughs> okay, here's here's the episode summary of Terra Farmer Part Two from Memory Alpha. The USS Discovery crew journeys to a mysterious planet in hopes of finding a cure for Giorgio's deteriorating condition. Stamets and Adira make a stunning breakthrough with the newly acquired burn data. And of course, Terraformer Part 1 was the ninth episode of Season 3. It was written by Bo Yoon Kim, Eric Lippolt, Alan McElroy, and directed by Omar Mada. So, your strange new takes on this strange new episode. Yeah, so uh, since I'm always the most prepared, I will uh, start us off here and... Um, 
Okay, so the the real world take is probably going to be about chickens. Uh, so what what I'm going to give you is some advice. Uh, so it's it's dark out there a lot of the a lot of the day now. Uh, we we don't get too much sunlight, so uh, you should go spend some extra time out with the girls and make sure that they have some time to just eat some worms or. Since it's winter, there's not really any worms, but they like eating dirt anyway. So go hang out with your chickens. Uh, for the episode take, uh, Emily can't be here tonight, but I think we do have the stra- the same strange new take. Uh, this was our favorite Mirror Universe episode. Uh, and for me, that I think a lot of that goes to we had actual motivation for going into the Mirror Universe uh, the usual pitch for a Mirror Universe episode is, what if the Federation but Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my strange new take is something that I found out about my favorite author, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, maybe some of you out there are also fans of Tony. I, I tend to really appreciate and love his work on TV and in writing. But he was apparently close friends with Ted Nugent, who is an absolutely awful human being. And I, it is difficult for me to understand this. And, and he confessed this friendship to, to President Obama when they hung out in Vietnam, apparently. And President Obama gave him a pass for it. So I can't, like, if, if President Obama is going to be okay with something, it's, I need to, like, I feel like I need to be okay with it as well. Especially when it's something so per- personal to the president. But, man, Tony, jeez. <laughs> I, I feel differently now about him a little bit, but still love his work. Anyway, moving along. Uh, there is a certain softening of the Hitler of the Mirror Universe, meaning the, the Hitlerism, like the, the awfulness of the, Miller, the Mirror Universe that occurs in the kind of cartoony pastels of the TOS era. And especially, or especially that, but even in like some of the ways that it was treated in the other like 90s series, mm-hmm. that is very much missing from the treatment of the mirror universe as we see it in this discovery. And I miss it. Yeah, they're, they're not trying to go too much for a, a campy vibe on this. Hmm. Yeah. So before I get into my strange new take, I do want to say, Adam, every time you have a chicken strange new take, I do visualize it really well. The way you storytell is good. So I expect a children's picture book out in a few years from now. Um, yeah. Adam and his chicken. <laughs> Let's get it done. Let's I'm not even so. joking. Like every single time you speak through it, I can completely visualize it. Um, it's always It's always hens, not roosters. So. Well, um, that's all I got. So, yeah, there you yeah. go. So you're so, so. picturing it accurately. I almost feel like uh, um, I don't know what I'll do when I actually see what it looks like. <laughs> so yeah, that aside, uh, my strange new take for today is um, some of you may know tonight is the peak of the Geminid meteor shower um, around midnight, one a.m. or two a.m. up to potentially one twenty um sightings per hour that's quite a lot that's one or two a minute um and it was extremely cloudy out here in austin about 45 minutes ago and when i look out right now it's really sunny so looking forward to that and for this episode 
I would also say it is one of my favorite Mirror Universe episodes. But I may have a convoluted reason. Uh, we're watching a science fiction show, um, which is a stretch of the imagination in general. And then the, the, the star cast is 900 years in the future from where they're supposed to be. And there is a Mirror Universe. And there's a lot of confusing things going on. I'm almost curious to see what happens in the Mirror Universe. Um, more than I am to see what happens in this 31st century. I think there's a little more intrigue on does Giorgio rewrite everything. And maybe that's the that's the uh, toning down of Hitlerism. Maybe it's like showing Hitler before Hitler became Hitler. I have no idea. We're just curious to see what happens. So, And it looks like the, um, the next episode is going to go into that uh, a lot as well. So, Yeah. Cool. All right, my um, strange new take is Star Trek related, and it is simply that every time you use the transporter, you definitely die, and just some weird copy of you is made, for sure. Oh, 100% agree. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, and you wouldn't even know it, right? Because the you who got killed got killed, and then there's just this weird copy who's, like, oblivious. So Yeah, that's that's why I could never trust anyone who tells me uh, that that's oh that's definitely not what happens because I did it before like right. you died right of course you would say that because you're a transporter clone <laughs> you should you should watch the movie The Prestige mm-hmm. um, and regarding this episode I um, I was gonna also say like best mirror universe certainly from Discovery and and um, you know within all of Star Trek I think it compares favorably but um, others have said that so I. I'll say, I, th- I think this is exactly what Giorgio's character needed. Um, this is really, I think, enhanced her character a lot and, and given it a lot uh, more depth. So I, it was yeah, very welcome. <clears throat> All right, let's jump straight into story and writing with the A-plot, which is Giorgio. And I want you to elaborate on what you just said, Bill. Yeah, so really, really interesting the way they've approached this. You know, she my critique of her character all along has been that she's really one-dimensional and kind of too mustache twirling. But now they're suggesting that, you know, all this time in the Prime Universe has actually started to have an effect on her and have an impact. And so now, starting when she and Michael go down to the planet, they have this goodbye with Saru and Tilly that's actually, you know, kind of, sweet in a way. And mm-hmm. then when they, when they get there, she, you know, I mean, there's all basically everyone in the mirror universe is a psychopath, right? Like a violent mm-hmm. psychopath. And she, she's still like 80% like that, but she has a conscience, right? There's yeah. all this kind of casual violence that's happening and you see her continually second guessing that. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you that this is, it's, it's hard to even, put her like they, they they still tried to give us a bit of that character development before but there was no proof that she was actually uh sort of growing as a person uh until now like you have to put her back in that situation where she is literally in charge like right. she's the empress again mm-hmm. and she is able to like kill anybody that she wants be as evil as possible uh and and yeah i that th- we saw a lot of points in this episode where she's like even very subtly horrified and trying to kind of tamp it down uh mm-hmm. and she doesn't act every single time but um yeah the, i i 
I, I do like, and I, and I think that's why I like this episode is like, it had a purpose and it was giving us, it was giving an insight into a character that, that has been kind of, yeah, like you said, much touched really. And yeah, not, not really satisfying to watch a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see what y'all are saying and I agree that it added depth to the Giorgio character. I think for me with her presence on the main show, I honestly almost appreciated that in a sea of like all these conscientious people, she was always able to cut the bullshit. And um, I, I, I liked her presence as this kind of like jumpy, let's get violent voice that I mean, it would, it would be horrible for her to be the head of Starfleet, right? Like, that, that that wouldn't make any sense. But I think as a Starfleet captain, I appreciate that Saru had someone who was giving him that advice. If not, maybe the fact that she was you know, unreliable. I think that was the bad quality about her. Yeah. Um. So, for me, I, I, I think I just came into this episode maybe think not needing as much of a deep dive into her. Although, you guys are right. Throughout, we've been talking about how she's been Hitler- and we have to come to terms with the fact that our lovable characters are like friends with Hitler. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's it's literally that horrible British sitcom "Heil Honey, I'm Home," where like they had Hitler and Eva Braun. Like, this is real, by the way. I'm this is very real. Living in an apartment with Jewish neighbors in like London. Okay, like they filmed this. They made multiple episodes of this sitcom. Someone thought this was a good idea. Oh anyway, it, but but it was basically like that in discovery like we didn't come to terms with what george who george was and maybe this is a way to do that um mm-hmm. so I, I can see how that would be a, a necessary thing for our show to do yeah and, and just curious since you guys are um deeper into the pulse of trek fans was there a lot of malcontent around that in general or do you think the show writers themselves felt that it was something that they needed to cleanse out at this time. I think it. I think it's a good point, Notch, because it, it's almost like the show is saying that if you are not at peace with yourself, um, and this is extremely uh, meta, but if you're not at peace with yourself, you can't exist. There's always some kind of discontent. So it's it's them trying to cleanse Giorgio, maybe. I don't know, uh, because they can't take the show forward with... Um, one of their main, probably, you know, I don't know if she's the highest paid one, but one of the most popular recognizable figures outside of Star Trek um, with that, um, you know, um, history. I, I really like Giorgio throughout and and maybe it does make me feel a little uncomfortable now that you mention it, that I kind of maybe subconsciously glazed over all those things because I always looked forward to her lines uh, her witty retort and, and didn't go back to what happened in the mirror universe. So, um, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, to some extent it's a lot of str- what discovery is struggling with is they started out much more grim, dark than I think the current showrunners want the show to be. So I'll, it's, mm-hmm. I've kind of, it's kind of felt like a lot of, uh, season two and three are trying to make up for some of the, like, Oh, this is like really weird, bad shit that we went into. And I don't know if we would, like if that's what we want Star Trek to be right now, um, but so I, yeah. I I have something about that actually, which is that maybe this is the time for me to to come in with that. I I don't think I wanted it back. I think this mirror universe, like I can agree with you all about why it was needed, but I didn't really 
needed in my life and seeing all these like stabby people and and having all this anxiety maybe again it's the it's the fact that i watched it really late on a friday night when i should have been sleeping or resting or watching something a little bit more pleasant but it was just kind of like oh man oh look there's another person with a knife and Giorgio's looking over at burnham when is the stabbing gonna happen and oh there's something bad gonna happen next week because she didn't kill burnham on the spot like it just mm. I think for me, it was just a little bit of a drag on on this kind of plot of like discovery of the new universe, which is exactly the opposite of what you just said, Rudy. So I'm sorry. But like <laughs> 32nd century is like, oh, wow, new stuff. Oh, so cool. Like, let's tell let's find out what's going on. And now it's just like, OK, I know what's happening next. Cool, cool. OK, Stabbins got stabbed. All right. OK, who's next? Oh, look, they're fighting. Like, it just... I don't know. We we went backwards, in my opinion. It just is somewhat predictable quality, which um, I didn't enjoy as much. I know Emily has said a lot about the violence in in Star Trek sometimes, and I have actually disagreed with her quite a bit. If if even if sometimes I didn't express it on the show, that I I don't mind that as much. But this week was one where I I found myself agreeing with her. Uh, previous takes. I don't know if she feels the same way about this episode, but like um, I, I thought it was just a little. I, I, a little bit of subtle thriller approach might have might have been kind of fun uh, as opposed to this like knives out stab stab but yeah like it, it it's still possible to have some of that intrigue without us literally going into like severely bloody fights and whatnot and yeah I I, I, I do well I guess what's interesting is that uh before I knew that this was going to be a mirror universe episode, I assumed that my take would be what your take is that we kind of didn't need to go back. Um, and so like it, for me, it, it kind of feels weird that I was convinced because I, I was just, uh, once we were done with season, once we had that sort of, um, uh, mentioned that the mirror universe has drifted apart and I was basically like, Oh, we never have to watch a mirror universe episode ever again. <laughs> Uh, I'm look, still looking forward to the one in Lower Decks, but other other than that, like I just I don't need that. But so I I just see like if when when your opinion of the mirror universe is never going to happen, there's just a ceremonial Star Trek prop master who closes the box on the goatee and it's like <laughs> puts, puts it away on the shelf. We won't be needing this anymore. Anyway, Bill, you had some. Yeah, so, so I think it's also important in watching this episode to um, have you know the the outer universe context, which is that. Michelle Yeoh was kind of promised her own spin-off Section 31 show years ago, you know, I don't know, in 2017 or 18 or something. And I know that work has been done on that. I think scripts have been written. And my understanding is that it has not been officially greenlit, actually, by the execs at CBS Paramount, mm. Viacom. Um, and it would seem that actually Strange New Worlds kind of leapfrogged ahead of Section 31 in terms of production and has been greenlit, right? That's mm -hmm. that's happening. Um, so this is kind of like the subtext is, is you know, are we going to see like a backdoor pilot for a spinoff? And how would that spinoff work if Giorgio is in the 33rd or 34th century or, or whatever? Right. Um, so I'm I'm looking out for that and we may... You know, this could potentially be that backdoor pilot. And, you know, we're going to talk in a second about how they've introduced this idea of molecules trying to return to their timeline and maybe getting Giorgio back to the, you know, the Section 31 she knows or even closer to her own time might help stave off some of the health effects of, of whatever she's ha having issues with. 
Um, while while I, I am being somewhat negative, let me just add something that this is the kind of writing issues that I sometimes have with Discovery, which is that when they find Carl, there's a line, this is the chance that your computer was pointing us to. Really? Really? The, yeah. <laughs> this dude reading the newspaper with a magical door. You think? Like, that is a line of dialogue we do not need. The, the viewer is there. And then, you know, you have Burnham saying, let's go back to Discovery when she's risked everything to get Bur to get Giorgio over to this site. And now she's terrified of this, like, random Star Trek. The most Star Trek-y of Star Trek things happens, and our Star Trek character is afraid. And I think this is the kind of thing that just takes me out. And when I talked about sophistication a few episodes ago, this is it. Trust your viewers. Trust your viewers to, to be with you on this journey. And... Trust your viewers to accept that your characters might not act. Like maybe they were thinking like, yeah, Burnham should be afraid. Like perhaps in some, maybe you can you can see that world. But we don't need that. We don't need that. They, the, the, everything is driving them to this moment. Let them embrace it and let's move forward. So when we're talking about writing, I want to talk about that. The other thing that's interesting, and this isn't necessarily a criticism, is just Chekhov's Lorca. You know, Chekhov's gun, it shows up in the first act, has to be used in the third. Lorca's been mentioned like 500 times in this episode and yet he did not show up. So the question is, does Jason Isaacs make an appearance uh, next episode? What do you guys think? I mean, I I was so excited, but I, after like the second or third mention, and then like we went to a room where he wasn't, I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're just gonna like, are we just? Gonna, I think we might just talk about him the whole time and then just leave me disappointed <laughs> and have no Jason Isaacs. I mean, we'd want him. I'd want him to show up. Um, I don't know if he will though. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I'm also jaded a little bit. I don't. I'm gonna bet. Yes, we'll see him mm, next episode. Go. We see him from his back, like his hand comes in through the screen to shake someone's hand. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like he's in a dark room. You can't see the face. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I I love the idea that maybe this might be a way for them to bring Prime Lorca back from the dead and throw him into strange new takes. Uh, Strange New Worlds. <laughs> It'd be great if he joined we'll this podcast. <laughs> we'll take him. <laughs> but but it would be it would be great to see him in Strange New Worlds. So this might be a way for them to bring that character who everybody liked back. So so we'll oh, see. I, I would be super into that. If 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 that is what we're getting out of this, I, that'd be amazing. I, I'm sure we're going to see Jason Jason Isaacs again on Discovery at some point. I don't think he would return as a regular cast member, but who knows. Yeah. Yeah, we'll 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 check in next episode with that one. What do y'all think about the B plot with the distress call from the Veruvan Lebula? Also compelling, I thought. I I, I was kind of curious, you know, where the, when they have the big reveal and it's a Kelpian and whatever, and and Tilly's like, oh, should we tell the Admiral? And Saru's like, no. And mm. you know, the the way I read that was like, oh, Saru has some other motivation that we don't really understand and is being a little bit shady actually maybe i don't know if you guys read it the same way but i'm wondering why like what's going on there i, I think know. he I, was Sorry, i ahead. kind of feel like it's just been uh that saru is assuming that vance would disapprove of something and therefore he tries to disapprove of it ahead of time uh with vance just doing the opposite and just being like Whatever crazy idea you have, like that's what you what Discovery should do. I authorize it a hundred percent. Like warp into a random place now. And we've 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 visited this explicitly, right, in previous episodes where Vance has been like, look, just tell me. Like, just just tell me that you have these nutcase plans. 
and and we can talk about it. And so, yeah, I, I didn't know what to make of that. I didn't know whether they were like, we need more information to, to figure out what's happening here um, and comb the databases or whether it was more that I think Vance will do something nefarious and mess with my chance to meet these Kelpian friends. Yeah, I, I think I've just seen Saru throughout uh, this season uh, has been apologetic for everything around him. Like he's taking responsibility, um, trying to protect his crew from from the new federation, from Vance. And I, he was really surprised that the Kelpians joined, or pleasantly surprised that they joined, um, you know, the federation. And mm-hmm. I don't even know if he was being generally apologetic for them. I, I, I don't. I think he trusts Vance. I mean, Vance is is basically the litmus test now for for this um, season and whether something makes sense in old Star Trek terms or not, right? Because mm-hmm. he's the one appro- approving stuff. And he actually has a good, compelling conversation with Saru, I think, around um, um, someone, again, paraphrasing, uh, got to save someone from drowning in your own crew, right? Yeah. So um, I, I think... Saru is just a little little risk averse, a little apologetic, maybe for Kelpians. I don't know if he thinks they caused the burn, but um, I, I don't think he's afraid of Vance or Yeah. Yeah, it's it was interesting, yeah, especially Bill, in light of how Vance comes off in this episode as well. The writers are definitely showing Vance to be a really reasonable person. Um, in this episode, because he does like, you would not think if say you showed somebody the first episode Vance shows up in, and this episode, they'd be like, "What? He he came out and approved this mission to save a single person? Like, I I didn't expect that." So, it's it's interesting. I I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to write here. Uh, but it's 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 interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, I, I think there's some ulterior motives, and I think that there may, I don't know, it may be just that Saru is so curious about, you know, being with his own people again, that he and he doesn't want it to get spoiled or something, I don't know. But I, in general, I love these kind of minor command plunders that Saru makes. You really get to see him grow into being a captain, right? And it's much more realistic mm-hmm. um, that, you know, he makes these small mistakes and and vance kind of disagrees with him and i i really enjoy it actually yeah and i i really wish we could get more of this plot in this episode uh and and find out a little bit more about the the nebula uh but then i think right after that scene that you're talking about is when we switched over full-time to the mirror universe and and then left behind discovery so I think there were only two plots in this episode and that that's basically where we were. And next episode, looking at what's ahead um, is more Mirror Universe stuff, obviously. So we'll, we'll, we'll check in later to see uh, how we feel about that. But let's talk about the expansion of the world of Trek now. Uh, we were just talking about the, the stuff in the Nebula, so I'll start with that. There was a KSF Kieth uh, that is a Klingon ship that is stuck in the Nebula with a... Um, with a, with a Kelpian serving on board. Are and... we sure it's a Klingon ship? Well, that's what KSF it is, right? But it couldn't it be like Kaminar hmm. ship or... I, I don't know. I'd... Oh. Hmm. It says... Okay, okay, you're right, actually, because I'm looking at Memory Alpha, which is always right, and it says Kelpian starship, so okay. perhaps they're the Kelpians. Uh, you're right. 
uh, but that would be really confusing, you know? It's like, sir, the KSF bloody blah is approaching us. Shields up, fire immediately! <laughs> it's like, no, they're the Kelpians, what are you doing? <laughs> you killed the children! Okay. Uh, but anyway, so so they should figure that out in-universe. But um, the, oh, the ship... I, actually, I, I think what I was thinking about in terms of my proof that it was a, a Klingon ship was the, uh, the KSF. It's IKS for um, Klingon ships. Right, right. I, I took you. I took you halfway, and then you found your way to, to the conclusion with even more proof than I had. So good job. <laughs> um, we were both wrong. But he took you the... halfway. He... <laughs> All right. So uh, you guys started. And and I, I wanted to point out that the ship that goes to help the KSF Kieth is the USS Hiraga Ganai. Now, did any of you Google who Hiraga Ganai was? Is it is it a Japanese name? It is. And I actually love what the writers are doing. Is, was Star Trek always this referential to real people, their starship names? Like, maybe I just never, like, looked them all up when Picard's like, the USS whatever, whatever is going to do something. Oh, turns out whatever, whatever was a major astronomer in ancient Greece. And, you know, I've only been noticing it this season. And Hiraga Ganai... I'm going to read from Wikipedia over here. It was a Japanese polymath of the Edo period, lived between 1720 and 1780. Pharmacologist and uh, physician, author, painter, and inventor, Ganai composed several works on homosexual life and desire in Japan. And he also wrote a satirical essay called On Farting. So, so anyway. Clearly but, his greatest contribution. <laughs> right? It's like when you do something like that, that's going to be your legacy, dude. Like he, you know... Bill Gates tomorrow came out with a with an essay like called on poop, <laughs> and like two hundred years from now, people will be like Bill Gates known for on poop. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, I it, it is kind of neat to see them uh, give a give a nod to this kind of more I would say obscure figure at least in the West and uh, and and have them mentioned. So so that was the Hiraga Ganai. Mm. Did, do you have other things that this episode expanded on in the world of Trek that you noted or would like to talk about? I mean, for sure, the uh, the Kelvin universe stuff was was interesting. Uh, that we we got. Uh, I mean, it, and it's it's one of those things. Like, if you if you were not paying attention, uh, then we would have uh, you could have completely missed it because they just kind of offhand said like, "Oh, this person was a, a, a Romulan mining ship uh, in twenty three seventy nine um and uh yeah so i i one thing that we have confirmed is that the uh the kelvin timeline made the same bad fashion mistake of season one tng uh <laughs> uniforms uh despite benefits from interacting with tech from the future they just they couldn't avoid that collarless design uh although i will say uh lieutenant commander yor he pulled it off right he's a beetlejuicean <laughs> Which is a species introduced, I believe, in Discovery in season or mm. first episode of this season. So right, with that guy, right. that book is getting chased by. Uh, yeah. And another interesting little fact, when they filmed that scene with Lieutenant Commander Yor, he's wearing a pin from uh, the DS9 Voyager days. You know, the one with the little rectangle on there. And not ah. the TNG pin. And so it had to be digitally remastered. And the reason we know this is because when the scene was shown in the ready room, you can actually see him wearing the the DS9 pin. And then when it was shown in this episode, it's been digitally changed. But in a few oh, wow. like side shots, you can kind 
kind of just see the 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 what he's actually wearing. So, mm. wow, <clears throat> yeah, it's dedication. That's production values. They spent Long? like fifty thousand dollars doing that because some yeah. dudes on Reddit would have been like, "No, that's the wrong <laughs> combat." I right, and whereas whereas the guy uh, with uh, it, this is, I think this is a good illustration actually of Star Wars versus Star Trek. I don't know how our listenership will take this, but like recently in an episode of The Mandalorian, there was a production mistake where um, there was a guy who had. Uh, like half of him shows up like a member of the production team in like one shot while the main characters are in a firefight and all you can see of him is like his like little bit of his upper torso where his like arm and half of his chest and what he's wearing um which are jeans so the the star wars fan base like actually made up a character and i forget the name that they gave him but it's it's basically like his his last name is j e e n z and now he's like a <laughs> part of the le- legend i th- i think he, he's actually like jeans g u i e so like jeans guy but like jeans guy or something like that <laughs> and they just like added him to the universe now so um but anyway so 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 that, that that's i i uh, i wish i wonder what they would the star star trek folks would have done if they had uh, just maintained the the combat but your turns out was an interesting case because of some things that it implies about euthanasia in the in the prime universe. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I are they for it? To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, We've all been it. poised about to talk, <laughs> right? Once more. <laughs> so they had to. They had to. His doctors had to petition, like. The, I think they just say the Federation, right? Right. To allow for it. So yeah. Suggests that it happens sometimes, but needs special permission. Which is interesting <clears throat> considering uh, where the, the push for euthanasia exists now uh, in today's world is, is, I mean, there are certain societies and places where people wouldn't even discuss it. And then there are others like Switzerland and uh, where it's permissible with your doctor's consent. And others in the United States, I believe Oregon, where you can actually, again, have you need authorization from, forget who it is now, but like there's laws around it. And it turns out in the Federation, you, you need consent of, of the Federation body. So um, so I, I was interested in, in seeing how the, what that implied about uh, the, the permission to allow yourself to die in the future. So... Um, one one thing about the Kelvin universe uh, that Kovich, which is your director friend Bill, whose name I'm not forgetting, who plays Kovich, the the guy. Oh, David Cronenberg. Yeah. David Cronenberg says that all they know about the Kelvin universe. It's not all they know, but that all he says is that this Romulan mining ship went back and created this separate universe, and it makes sense because like Yor isn't gonna come back and be like, okay, let me tell you everything I know that's happened to the Federation. Um, they don't know that Vulcan's gone or any of this stuff, which is, I mean, it, it, it's, I like that. I feel like that is some sophisticated writing and I appreciated that. It's not, they don't know everything about that universe, but they know some of it. And it also introduced us to the idea, which I believe is new to the to Star Trek, that molecules from mirror universes attempt to return to their universe and to their timeline. And the further you go from it, the more... Uh, pain and prob- health problems occur for the people that they are in. Yeah, we we saw a, 
a hint of it with uh, Gabrielle uh, needing to return to the future uh, because she was somehow tethered into the 32nd century. But uh, yeah, this is an interesting development to, I don't know if it's exactly going on, like expanding that or, or not, but I don't know. I, I, I suppose I, at first I was a fan because it, it meant that we were never going to see the mirror universe again, but uh, now it's just, uh, they're putting more of it in there to like make me comfortable with like, yeah, we're going to send her back in time so that we can have a, a uh, another series starring her or whatever. It adds some guardrails where, you know, where you, it answers the question of why aren't we seeing like hundreds of mirror universe people just jumping around between universes, like hanging out wherever they want, like Rick and Morty style, right? Like it's, it's, it makes sense because now there are consequences to jumping universes. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in that sense, I kind of appreciate it because it, it closes off a continuity loophole just a little bit. So um, there, we also found out about time soldiers. We'd heard about the temporal cold war, of course, but this idea of time soldiers and that the temporal accords are ironclad um, is, is also interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't the temporal accords of like a 31st century thing? Like, do they exist in the TNG time? Because they're talking about how the temporal accords were ironclad, but they wouldn't have been when Yor was around in TNG. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily understand what that meant when Kovic said that. I, I think it's referencing canon in either from Enterprise or in Voyager, there there were a few episodes where they had like time police from the far future. I'm not sure about that, but well, but I think the yeah. temporal accords refer to specifically you're just like not allowed to do it at all anymore. Uh, there were definitely rules though for that you can't mess with the timeline in Voyager. I I, I suppose it's mm-hmm. it's possible that there that one is an extension of the other, but um, it's it seems weird that. Now it seems the solution is we can't time travel any at all. Like it seems like the 32nd century can't even do it. In whereas the 27th century is trying to um, sort of enforce things and and make timelines be correct at, at, when people try to interfere with them. Right. It, maybe it explains why Yor wasn't yanked away by the temporal police. So so maybe that that was Kovic's point there. Uh, we found out the discovery. Uh, this is kind of obvious, but I never, I had not thought about it. Has all current Federation databases, including ones that may have been lost over the hundreds of years since their time uh, to the future, which is kind of a really important point. You know, you look at kind of the history of ancient texts today uh, about how much knowledge has been transmitted from ancient Rome, for example, to today, and it is very incomplete. Um, and it makes sense that there would be some of those same issues in the 32nd century post-burn. So it's kind of an important thing to keep in mind. I hope they write some plots about it. That would be really cool uh, as well. We found out that there's a dilithium nursery in the Verubian Nebula. That's why the KSF Kiet was in there. Um, that was cool. And we found out that the Star Trek Discovery writers are fans of that uh, internet cartoon with that llama named Carl. Carl, put on the hat, Carl. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, because Carl shows up. Carl exists. Yeah, I, I thought it was great casting. It's Paul Guilfoyle, right? Is that mm-hmm. actor's name? Yeah, I thought it Correct. was great casting. And it was just so, it was the most TOS-like 
thing that I've seen in Star Trek in a long time, and I thought mm. it was I thought it was really fun. I don't know if he yeah is he a Q or or you know what I have no idea, and maybe it doesn't matter. <clears throat> I was so sure he's going to reveal some Qness, but that didn't happen, which was perplexing. Did anybody catch? I mean, not you mentioned. Hitlerism. I I don't know if Churchill had a bowler hat, but he had a this guy had a has a cigar. Looking at the picture right now and a news headline, it's almost like Hitler invades Europe. Is that is that happening there? Or am I just connecting disconnected things? Is there a Churchill esque thing going on there? Yeah. So he's reading a newspaper called the Star Dispatch. Um, I have not watched much of TOS, so this is all entirely dependent on other people in Memory Alpha helping me with this. But the Star Dispatch showed up in The City on the Edge of Forever, which is a TOS episode in which the Enterprise crew go back in time and change history pre-World War II. Mm. So have any of you got memories of that episode that you can speak to a little bit better than I can? Anybody remember it? This is why we need Emily on the show. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I, I remember it in the sense of uh, that... Like McCoy goes crazy, goes back in time and uh, saves a girl from uh, getting killed, uh, which then I forget exactly what the consequences are, but it's uh, it's real bad. And uh, then they have yeah. to kill her or let her die. Right. And so that implies some very interesting things. So either we can think about the the portal. There's a portal in the city of Edge of Forever as being the same portal that we see, or we can see that as thematically the the same activity Giorgio has to do. She's going back to save Burnham, but maybe the, the, the uh, at least where I saw the story pushing our minds was she has to let her die. She cannot save Burnham. There's no way that that happens. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there, I think there's a, a bigger question, which is like, is Giorgio actually like back in time in the mirror universe or is this whole thing like a simulation or a dream or something like that? I, I don't know, but yeah. it's not, it's not clear to me that it's actually that everything she's doing is actually like real. Is there a portal that we see here? Like I, I don't remember right now, but it almost looked like the door opened into the other side of the snow field and there wasn't. So did she walk through it and disappear? I don't recall. She did? We don't see what happens to her in the in her timeline. All we see is that she walks through and suddenly it's, she's standing at the door of a shuttle, basically. From her perspective, uh, not from a third person viewing or right. walking through. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, but sorry, not just to go, to go back to your point. I mean, I think maybe that's true. Maybe, you know, Mirror Michael ends up dying, you know, no matter what. But it, I mean, it's just like a straight up shot at redemption for Giorgio, right? She gets to make a mm -hmm. choice about whether she, you know, uh, executes Burnham or not. And she chooses not to. So it's, I think, meaningful from a character perspective. Yeah, oh, I, yeah I, totally. Yeah, I, I feel like we're, uh, I don't know that I'm expecting as much of a city on the edge of forever resolution to this, where she just decides like, I need to preserve the Hitlerness of uh, the mirror universe because like, uh, otherwise, like an even worse Hitler is gonna come up or something. Like, I it it kind of feels like um, this is 
maybe going to be an opportunity for her to upend things in a way that Hoshi Sato uh, upended uh, the Terran Empire in the uh, Enterprise episode, which was basically just to kill everybody and install herself as Empress. <laughs> but it's, um, it's uh, yeah, I'd, I, I feel like they're going more that direction rather than the preserving the timeline thing, but I guess we'll see next episode. Yeah. Well, just a couple of quick facts about the Terrans that we found out uh, before we go into a break here. Dying Terrans' basic instinct is to find a way to die in battle. The more glory, the better. So, Adam, you had uh, you had some feelings yeah, on this. Yeah, the... So, I, I mean, I, I've liked the Terrans a bit more in this episode, but I also suspect that the writers have just decided that let's not go quite so into the Hitler stuff. Like, let's just have the Terrans be Klingons, since we don't have Klingons this season. Like, uh, we'll just, uh, you know, we can understand the, the murderiness as long as they say honor a few times and, uh, like, seem to have rules about something. Like, but, uh, yeah, so it, I, I kind of feel like we're going that direction which I mean, maybe that's all right, but I, I mean, know. this might this might be their interpolation also of how they see the Terran Empire as a as a continuation of Rome. Well, I don't think that it's like literally supposed to be. I think the Terrans see their empire as a continuation of the domination strategy of the ancient mm-hmm. Romans. The emperor called herself the daughter of Rome. Um, the Romans had this kind of very martial attitude. It wasn't like necessarily like you should die in battle, kind of like the Klingons. But uh, there, there might be some honor-based uh, extrapolation there as well. Finally, we also see a little bit more about how they treat the Kelpians, uh, more so than we saw in last uh, or the first season's Mirror Universe episodes. We see a little bit more of, of how they make the Kelpians their slaves and kill them off, which uh, was pretty dire. But anyway. Let's take a break over here. We'll come back with memorable moments and we'll talk about character development. Emperor, Vahari is a term we only use amongst ourselves. There's no need to coarsen your tongue. I, I'm surprised you know it at all. My eyes see all. My ears hear all. You honor us. But perhaps I don't see everything. There are worlds the slaves are privy to that even I cannot enter. So let me ask you, why is my daughter betraying me? What am I missing? I'm afraid I do not know what you mean. You do know what I mean. And you are not afraid. Check your ganglia. Your instincts have spoken. If you answer me truthfully, no harm will come to you. She is plotting to kill me, perhaps even today. Why? What are Michael and Lorca whispering in the dark? They fear that you have changed. Go on. If they knew, even that you had learned the term Vaharai, they would be unsettled. You mean they would smell weakness? I once overheard a Terran commander say, there is only one rule for Terrans in this world. He who sheds the most blood makes the laws. Everything I have seen confirms that to be true. She cannot love what is weak, not if she is to survive. From now on, you will be my eyes and ears. What unfolds from here is not up to her. It is up to me. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about Terraformer Part 1, and I wanted to ask you guys to tell me 
What were your most memorable moments in this episode? What sticks out to you? What What are you talking about days later? I have a few. Um, not, I don't know. These are these are random observations. Um, I think Sinequa Martin Green did a great job in the Mirror Universe. Really good acting. Mm-hmm. Um, it occurred to me that like half the characters in Discovery are Burnham's parents. She has a lot of parents. There is, you know. <laughs> And just a lot of, she's related, you know, she has all these kind of virtual, you know, families, you know, it's very confusing. Like Giorgio is kind of her mom, Spock's parents are kind of her parents. There's like her biological mom that's, you know, um, and then also like book, I think that the, um, you know, the costumes in general in the mirror universe were great. Love the costuming, but book, it's like, they just, you know, go down to H and M and you know he's all <laughs> he's seriously that's how they're like dressing him um you know, yeah, I, he's, like, he's a, he's a he stylish looks great guy, in anything yeah, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> he's he does have that like kind of nautical feel to some of his clothes where he's wearing those like long sleeve like crew neck sweater type things where uh, it's like the, that comfy stuff you might wear on a, like a yacht for a while if you're stuck on a ship, you know? And like so. super tight jeans. <clears throat> right. <laughs> As you do on yachts, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, any other memorable moments? I mean, I have a couple of memorable notations. Again, Culber is there in the beginning. Um, for the prime universe sort of priming things up and then he's he's not he doesn't go with um Giorgio to that planet. It's almost maybe it's a stretch, but Culber is almost like are they trying to make him be like Shepard from Firefly who's always like talking into people's ears and he's not really like he, he gives people deeper meaning but but it's not being it's not coming across as well. I don't know. Um, but I, when they started off, I thought he was going to be a part of the journey to that uh, desolate planet. Um, the other thing, going back again, Vance, right? He mentions, um, take some adv- advice from a old salt. So um, I, I actually, I, I think he's he's really, he's such a good character that they should have like a, um, a Trek memorabilia for Vance and maybe it's like a salt lamp bust of his face. <laughs> um, a wise gem salt crystal Admiral yeah. Vance. I don't know. <laughs> well, we got we got confirmation also and this is one of my favorite lines. Your computer merged with a sentient intelligence. Uh, it's, it's great for movie night. Doesn't mean we should trust it. I thought that was a pretty great uh, line from Kovich and we got confirmation that the computer has merged with a sentient intelligence in that they've realized that something's happened uh with with you know with, with the like blinking out as Saru was asking it questions he's reported that to somebody he wasn't like hmm interesting i'm going to keep this to myself <laughs> mm, so yeah. so that was kind of cool i enjoyed all of carl's little puns and you know <laughs> um, he was like the uh is that the q from lower decks who's like talking about uh, making like testing humanity and he's like talking about like turning everybody into playing cards he kind of had that attitude almost so I enjoyed that well let's talk let's talk about character development uh, Michael Burnham is up first 
Philippa Giorgio's line, you have the same need to bend people to your will. The only difference is that you lie about it to yourself. She's, of course, talking about the similarities between the two Burnham's Mirror and Prime. I, I was wondering what y'all took from that. I I think it, it seemed pretty apt to me. Uh, I, and I think this is kind of what uh, Burnham was starting to realize about herself um, back when we had the... Uh, Oof, can't remember the name of the thing, but the 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 tribunal uh, where she was trying to uh, negotiate uh, for more information on SB nineteen, <clears throat> like there, uh, she sees herself as the savior of everything, but it it goes a little bit beyond that. Um, so it, it's interesting to hear it put into those terms of like that. Uh, she thinks that she's right about everything, and she also like needs other people to validate that. And to uh, sort of put all of their trust into her for the, for that, uh, whatever it is that she decides. Yeah, it's, um, I thought one of the interesting uh, prospects when I heard this line was that we would get to see it somewhat illustrated in this episode as well. Because you get to see both Burnham's. Yeah, and I, uh, it, it, it we, we, I, I did appreciate when they, they brought out that moment of that uh, Burnham in the mirror universe sees herself as like, she was like queen of that trash heap. Like that was the only time that anyone ever sort of like let her be herself and like that it, it was like her own thing. Uh, whereas uh, it, everything else, maybe even in both universes have, have been sort of in uh she owes something to somebody else or like she is famous because of her involvement in some other thing mm -hmm. um so maybe that there's something that both burnham's need to sort of feel better ownership of something that's just themselves um but yeah so is that a sign that prime burnham is gonna need to become a captain so that she can order folks around <laughs> the, the, so she yeah she just needs to bend people to her will i mean maybe it's but I, I don't know if that's like the the lesson that it's it is good for her to just like fully own that she's going to bend people to her will right <laughs> <laughs> so it, i think that it, it is kind of an interesting throwback to her desire decision to give up the, well not give up but mm -hmm. have the first officership taken away from her and her inability to behave herself under Saru's leadership and be yeah. be secondary to Saru. She needed to do whatever she had to do and get everyone else to do that, that thing for her as well. Um, move, moving along, I, I wanted to mention that Book and S approaches Saru on his own, which is something I feel like we haven't seen this like book. We've seen this Book talk to Giorgio without Burnham present, but like Book hasn't like approached another character who isn't Michael, especially with Michael absent, to ask for something. And in this episode, he says, I'm going to stay on Discovery, and and uh, he offers Saru information from the Career Network. Yeah, and, and it, it's almost like... He he's he's trying to he he's trying to he's trying to prove to Saru that he can be approached directly as well. I guess w mm -hmm. works both ways, uh, and Burnham doesn't have to be a go between. Um, and it it did it did seem a little out of the blue to me, um, but but as long as it's 
in line with him playing a more uh central role in in you know solving for the burn and and not just being somebody who is burnham's love interest but also somebody who uh, for whom uh, discovery has to keep taking hard lefts again and again in in terms of the plot so um yeah it's it's they're trying to weave him into the central uh theme and and i think that's good it 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 was a little sudden and then we didn't hear from him at all throughout the episode right like it just yeah did we they haven't touched him oh they can't touch a mirror book right because that's in the past um right right so no mirror book mm. right and we know that the two universes <laughs> are so far apart now that they they might not have any similarity or oh, they can't reach each other but uh, according to kovic at least the other thing that book talked about was the emerald chain and we heard about this from a little bit from like, I think it was Vance in the beginning as well. Maybe this is like the C plot of the episode which you didn't really explore is that the emerald Va- emerald chain is doing military maneuvers. Mm. Uh, we hear that about them and that's what book wants to give information to Saru about. Hey, they had a walk and talk. There you go. You got Who your wants West a West Wing? Wing? Yeah. <laughs> in the Starfleet universe, you know, it's Admiral Vance and his cabinet making decisions. Yay, let's do that. Okay, uh, Saru, how do y'all... We, we've talked a little bit about Saru's kind of decision to not give Vance a heads up about um, about the Kelpian uh, ship in the, in the middle of the nebula. But what else did we learn about Saru? What do y'all think about Saru in this episode? I just really liked his acting in the Mirror Universe. Um, it... it... Uh, it was, I guess it's unfair to the others because they make a massive shift as well from being normal, uh, you know, good souled, um, highly moral people in Prime Universe and then being crazy psychos in the Mirror Universe. But Saru goes from being captain to, um, you know, literally somebody whose life could be extinguished at any point in time and is completely submissive. So I think that's a good that's like two ends of a spectrum in, in terms of changing acting style. And I, I, I like that. I appreciated um, his ability to carry that off. Well, and it's nice having that the unit mirror universe isn't just entirely, everyone is the opposite in terms of like their moral values. Like I think Saru is the same person in the mirror universe. He's in, he's just a different, he's in a different situation. Um, the question I that me- I wanted to ask, sorry to interrupt you about that, is is he a good like a good character in the mirror universe, or is there some sort of scheme that the slave Saru is hatching? Well now that you've put that seed in our minds. I, I think Adam is right. And it didn't occur to me, but it's interesting. Yeah, I think Saru is basically the same character. Yeah, I, mean, I, we'll I guess see, but I yeah. And I and it's interesting, he's still despite his like compromised position right he's still shrewd and savvy mm-hmm. um and so he he kind of demonstrates that in a different way <clears throat> i i thought he would reveal something to Giorgio that would manifest in this same episode like she would use it and we would see that it came from him but i don't think we got that did we no i, I think that'll be to, that just terror for part two if, if they were if they wanted to wrap it up in one that's how they probably would have handled it but I, I mean, so something I guess is an open question is, is the mirror universe is the only difference that the humans are Terrans and instead of, and then everyone else is the same, but 
in in the subjugated to that to them. Dude, Spock's goatee. Uh, well, but 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 Spock is pretty similar. Like, and and actually, it I think the the end of that episode kind of makes it seem like Spock might go back and re- start reforming the Terran Empire into being something that is more like logic based and calms down a bit at least. I, I don't think there's a coherent theory to it. I think yeah, yeah. the writer, yeah, the mirror I, universe is just like a fun thing. The writers do. You yeah, know, they were not they, expecting this they to feel be like a it's giant. Convenient, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there is. I mean, we see that the other species are more willing to make alliances than in the prime universe they haven't. Uh, but that might be, again, in response to the humans. I was trying to see if I could find out something about mirror Klingons because I feel like I have like something in the back of my head about them, but I can't remember now. So... Anyway, we should we maybe next week because we're going to be talking about the mirror universe more. We can we can talk about that a little bit. Um, we found we met Killy. People are obsessed with Killy after seeing that Killy's like roster profile read out and having Tilly play Killy. And we finally see Killy in this episode. I gotta say though, it just seemed like Tilly with different hair. I didn't see, like, you know, you, you, you talked about Doug Jones really playing a very different character. And I expected Killy to be, like, this ruthless, like, horrible person. But she's awkward, just like Tilly is. And, like, there's a little bit of ruthlessness there. But I didn't, I, I don't know. I, I feel like almost we should have not seen Killy just to, like, maintain the aura of who Killy could be, you know? And just mention her 23 times. Uh, and <laughs> uh, she, She's evil, but awkward. She's like, oh, I'm going to stab you or something. Right. <laughs> oh, sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe all of her kills have just been completely by accident uh, every single time. In this. <laughs> right. uh, that's, that's, the, that's the Star Trek uh, sitcom that we're going to see. <laughs> um with with Tilly though we saw we saw her go in for the hug with Giorgio even though Giorgio had like thrown food at her that's pretty big of her uh she seems like a very gracious individual which is mm-hmm. something we already knew but like I don't know if someone did that to me I don't think I would have had the kind of heart to you know go in for the hug and all of that like it's uh it takes a big-hearted individual I don't know it's... I'm sorry go ahead go ahead it's kind of hard to believe that they're all sorry to see her go. Like, why do they like her? <laughs> she's done nothing. Literally uh, not a single thing. That's like, she, she's a psychopath them, with uh, yeah. not a heart of gold, but like heart of like uh, bronze or something. <laughs> or tin. I mean, there's just a parody waiting to be made where it's actually Hitler. And like, they're all like, Oh no. So sorry to see you go Adolf. Bye. And, you know, I mean, this is literally what we're seeing. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, we should mention that Ellen Landry exists in the Murray universe. I mean, it's obvious, but yay. Look look at that. We got her back. Rekha Sharma. Getting work. That's, uh, I appreciated it. <laughs> and uh, didn't seem to do very much in, in the, this particular episode. It was just kind of a drag. But uh, one person who did get an extended Murray universe role was uh was stamets got to be the mc at the theatrical festival that they put on for the empress extended role and then termination yeah yeah Stamp. It, definitely giving off uh some uh like lincoln's assassination vibes uh in this episode oh yeah yeah, yeah. 
Oh, now now that you mention it, it, drawing parallels to Rome and Caesar and maybe being stabbed on stage, I don't know. Oh, I, yeah, I could I could see that too. Yeah, with the uh, all of them rushing up with their knives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Stamets at the end of it. Um, she, Giorgio has this big Roman name. I didn't catch it, but I I, I caught augustus in there and then there was uh-huh. centinius or something and um Neoponius. uh I, i'll go find it and uh read it to you i i want to i want to point your i, I want to point to to your perception and make a check on whether you all caught something there was another character in this episode who isn't there in season three but has there been on Discovery in the past? Did you catch who it was? I know. I know who it is. Wow. Well, I guess I... It's, it's, it's not Robot Arium. Yeah. Yeah. Hannah Cheeseman played mm-hmm. Arium in this episode. But because she hasn't had that like accident or whatever, she was fully human. Mm-hmm. Oh. I didn't yeah. catch that. I saw her, but I didn't catch that. And she and, and Sarah Middick, of course, have a very strong resemblance. So at first I was like, oh, yeah, that's Nielsen. No, it's not. It's Arium. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty neat, huh? But it's confusing because Arium is played by two different actors, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. So, so when the only time we've seen Arium's human form in the past in the series, it was when she was played by Hannah Cheeseman. So Sarah Middick played her in season one. Middick became Nielsen in season two. And Hannah Cheeseman took over playing Arium in season two. And so she's right. the one who came back to play Arium in this episode. It'd be kind of funny if they were like twins and the two of them were like Nielsen and Arium were like <laughs> hanging out together a whole lot in the mirror universe. But anyway, that did not happen. Uh, okay, so we we, ha- we saw our favorite yeah, bridge crew who we've come to know and love doing all sorts of crazy things like fighting each other. Uh, Bryce takes a knife and like hit someone's an apple off someone's head like he's William Dell apparently in the mirror universe so I don't know at a certain point I was just like this is comic book evil and I just I, I don't know I was just I was I could see how the writers were having a lot of fun and even y'all would have a lot of fun watching it but I was just like ah oh, come on it's so dark it's just so ridiculous <laughs> that, that I really missed the like you know the gold frill outfits and the goatees and the you know just bright pastel colors and uh people talking in the mid-atlantic accent like i feel like it would have been more fun if it was just played up and really campy you know but. yeah i i actually i don't know i feel bad now because i it was it was a violent fight scene but it was a well written fight scene i thought and in the end she keeps hammering him after he loses right yeah Reese, but it's it's more time that these characters have got in something that is drawing the viewer's attention extremely as opposed to somebody talking in the background and then it cuts over or something like that. So I, I like that part. Um, well, going back to the Prime Universe, it's not that I liked it, but did you, what did you guys think about that slap that Giorgio gave Burnham? It was super realistic. Is that a real slap? I don't know. It... <laughs> 
so so different actors play slaps differently. There's a lot of stage fighting that goes on that looks extremely realistic on camera, but if you catch it from like a slightly different angle, you'd or slow down time just a little bit, you'd see how cheesy it is. Uh, obviously, the wrestling is like a very obvious place where we see a lot of stage fighting, but there's some very sophisticated stage fighting that goes on. So just believe, I don't know what they did in this episode, but just know that actors can make slaps look extremely realistic when they're not. <laughs> so. Well, and specifically, like she's in lots of like fighting type roles. So I, she like she is probably like one of the best in terms of uh, making something look real, even if it's not. Mm. Correct. 100%. Which is interesting that she stabbed Stamets and wasn't like, you know, leg reached over her head and like, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> put a stiletto through his head with some martial arts move or something. Because I feel like every time they've put her in a fight up to this point, it's been like Michelle Yeoh's martial arts skills showing off. Which, why wouldn't you if you've got that in your actor? Yeah. Uh, Instead but... of just... <laughs> right, she, exactly. She should have used that tiara crown halo thing. Oh man, can you imagine like just like head down stab? Uh, that that would have brought us into brought us into uh, MA territory. Right. Good point. Rating. Good point. Well, anyway, well, we've we've got a full name for Giorgio. Yeah, uh, her most imperial majesty, mother of the fatherland, overlord of Vulcan, dominus of Cronus, Regina Andor, Philippa Giorgio Augustus Eoponius Centaurius. Uh, fantastic! Wow, that's, big name. I, yeah, I'm. I would have shortened it to like Pippa, Ger- but you know, <laughs> Giorgio, etc. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Adira was in this episode, but quite briefly. Yeah, and uh, they made like the uh, the classic programmer mistake of just like assuming that you've done absolutely everything correctly, and there's nothing more that you can do. Uh, and it, this is an intractable problem, and it's like, oh, I had a plus instead of a minus, and sorry, guys. Um, so yeah, I, I, as a programmer, I, I was having deep empathy uh, with Adira because I have done that exact same kind of thing over and over again, and f- you feel real dumb every single time. Was there a nice mentor who came and helped you along when it happened? Uh, yes, I, 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 I did have a, have a nice mentor. Uh, uh, Russ was, was a, was a great person to, uh, sort of bring me along in the, in the beginning. But nowadays it's, it's just me, uh, looking at this real dumb thing that I did. And then I have to go tell everybody about it. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's talk about Vance briefly. We talked about how his character got a little bit more added um to to his character and so we know he's been a captain it kind of seems obvious but he knows a lot about how to handle morale uh with officers which i appreciated he isn't kind of this single dimensional you will do everything by the book kind of person and that's that is very nice so so that was good um well with that we're running pretty late so let's jump into ratings which i can throw into our spreadsheet who would like to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating I could go. I will give this seven and a half alternate timelines out of ten mirror universe. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where that leaves us. Um, again, I think it was 
a good uh, mirror universe episode in terms of a focused plot that kept me kept me intrigued and not really confused about something new potentially coming in and like a C plot, D plot, you know, and trying to have to you know make sense of it all. Um, I do get that it was, you know, that there's 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 a downside to going back to the mirror universe and uh, you know spending multiple episodes in there. So um, that that's where I, that's how I land it, a seven point five. I I think I would I'm gonna go. I, I like my multiple rating system, so I'm gonna go with one of those uh, this time. So, like overall, in terms of like just the, as a straight up Star Trek episode, I'd probably give this, give this a seven. But in the context of this being a mirror universe episode, I think I'm gonna give it an eight because I I'm just I'm impressed that I was actually enjoyed the episode. Like I I was excited uh, in the beginning of of season three to discover that we would never ever go back to the mirror universe ever again. Uh, so they showed me that I could enjoy it again. So great. Okay. I'll, I'll give it, um, actually nine hours in the agonizer out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a good rating or a bad rating? (laughs) You you guys know what I mean. I liked it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought it, was probably the best episode this season for me. Uh, really, it moved the plot forward. Um, really good character development, and I was just totally into it when I was watching it. You know, I was really absorbed, kind of on the edge of my seat. I thought Notch. I agree with you about the the writing stuff that you mentioned, but aside from that, I thought it was just a like great episode. And with all the writing stuff, it's your ability to ignore it and move on and appreciate what's on the screen that really matters. So mm-hmm. at a certain point, there's diminishing returns. So I, I can completely see why that would not be a huge factor. For me, this is a 6 out of 10. I have to be honest. I had I think I enjoyed this one the least out of all the episodes this season, which is, you know, this it's okay. This is, this is why we have all of us on the show. And uh, this disproves Adam's theory of 50-50 because it's right now 25% to 75%. So the <laughs> hypothesis is false um, as far as we're concerned. Um, but anyway, uh, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Rudy, for being here today with me. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Notch, for hosting us. Of course. Thanks, thank Notch. You. Thank you, Emily, Dinah, and Max, wherever y'all are, whatever y'all are doing. I hope it's great. I hope your Sunday is going well. Thank you, listener, for joining us here with us today. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and to follow us and talk to us on social media. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for creating our theme. Well, he recorded our theme music. The creation was, I believe, Jerry Goldsmith's Klingon theme. So thanks to Jerry as well. And uh, also just want to thank... I want to thank the KSF Kieth for sending a signal out of that nebula and for encrypting it within some sort of musical transition signal. Because without it, we wouldn't be getting all these horrible flashbacks to Battlestar Galactica. So the Kelpians (laughs) obviously see that as a great television series and needed to create it. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. All right. We'll come back next week, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.